everyone, it's Pastor Kevin here with Thrive Church. Man, thanks so much. We're honored that you would stop by and actually listen to our messages online. We're in a series right now in the book of Titus. And as you know, we like to take time throughout the year to go verse by verse through a book of the Bible and just study that together. And so this message today will be on the book of Titus, and we want you to be able to dig into God's Word to understand what Paul was writing to a guy that he mentored, to a guy that was pastoring a local church, who was helping Paul plant churches. And there are some really powerful insights in this book called Titus to help us understand how we can influence our culture with the gospel. So today, I pray that this message will help you take next steps in your faith journey so you can grow in your relationship with Jesus. Why? Because your growth matters to us. Enjoy today's message. Also, if you're new to Thrive, I want to invite you after service today, we're having, we do this gathering once a month and it's called Connect. This is where you get to discover why Thrive is the way we are, why do we do what we do, and also it's a way that you can get connected here at Thrive Church because we believe the one thing, the best, those that experience and enjoy Thrive the most are connected beyond a Sunday, beyond a worship service. So make sure if you're new to Thrive, we're going to be in the cafe after service. And you may be thinking to yourself, but Keith, I'm hungry. It's okay. We have snacks. Everyone loves snacks. And then you're like, well, Keith, I have children. It's okay. We have child care. And then all the parents said, hallelujah, there's moments without my child that's even longer. But the kicker is all of our children will be hanging out upstairs in our nursery no matter the age. So after service, if you are wanting to stay with us with Connect, make sure you check him out of the kids' ministry and upstairs into the nursery environment. Because, again, for us, we want you to enjoy being at Thrive. We want you to feel connected. We want you to, when you walk in on a Sunday morning, Morning, you know someone beyond me, beyond the people that are on stage, that you find friends, people that you can share your life with and enjoy the time here at Thrive Church. So now we're in a series called Titus, based off the book of Titus. Now we're in the second week. Last week, Pastor Kevin did a lot of background and historical and all the fun, good, nerdy stuff that I just really get excited about. And some of you are like, I want to hear it. You can go online and hear it. Now there's a question that I want to kind of not really pose to you because this question is something that you've asked yourself, that I've asked myself, that you've asked yourself on behalf of someone else, and that is simply why is it at times do bad things happen to good people wait for it, like me? Why do bad things happen to good people like me? And, to, and honestly, just to be completely real with you, we ask these questions when we face hardships, when we go through tough times, at times because we have the concept of God and the gospel twisted. And in the words of the uh, wonderful poet, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, they're twisted and turned upside down. So today, what I want to do, what we're going to do together, is we're going to untwist this thought. We're going to untwist the purpose of the gospel. I want us to unpack it. Then when we leave here, when we walk out of these doors, we fully understand the gospel. And the big idea of the message, everything I'm going to talk about comes back to this one sentence, this one phrase, if you will. Jesus did not come so that we could have a better life, but so that we can be better at life. 
Jesus didn't come so that we can feel good, have all the goosebumps, have a bunch of stuff, never have to worry, never go through pain, never go through suffering. Jesus never promised any of that. But because of him, we can be better at life. We can be better at how we face these circumstances, how we face hardships, how we face the chaos, how we face the storms of life. But it's only through him. Now, as we jump into Titus, this is a letter that was written to, ding, 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 you guessed it, to Titus, who was one of the Apostle Paul's mentors. And the Apostle Paul, he's the guy that wrote it. And Titus, basically, he was with Paul when he planted some of the earliest churches of Christianity, the very first churches. Can you imagine that? That'd be wild and crazy. Nothing like what we have today. And to me, I probably would be really sad because I wouldn't know what I was doing. I don't know what I'm doing even now. But we get this letter, and this is towards the end of Paul's life when he wrote this letter. Now, see, now, Titus, as Pastor Kevin talked about last week, was basically like a problem solver. So he was like the fixer. So if you're in a church and you see Titus come rowing ashore in his boat, you see him rolling up on his donkey with a letter in hand, understand and know it is not good news. It is like, oh, snap, what did we do wrong? Because two of the main places that Titus went to was the church in Corinth and the church in Crete, both of which just has some, just some really, really wacky, waveable, crazy stuff going on. And you're like, Keith, I don't believe you. Don't believe me. Just read it in Scripture, and then you'll believe me. It's okay. You've been wrong before. So as we jump into this passage in Titus, understand that what he's doing, what uh, the apostle Paul is trying to convey is basically standards of living, standards for the leaders of the church, and then also just kind of encouragement for Titus just to handle business. So let's jump into this letter. Verse 1. And don't freak out that we're reading 16 verses. Okay? Some of you are already thinking you're going to be bored to tears. I'm not boring. If you think I'm boring, just you wait. But verse 1. This letter is from Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. You see, again, the power of the gospel, the impact of the gospel, it's not about having a better life. It's being better at life. Because as we are shaped by the gospel, we become not good. We don't become better. We become godly. So that's the purpose. So let's jump in and continue verse 2. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, I love that the Apostle Paul put that in there, promised them before the world began. And now at just the right time, he has revealed this message, which we announce to everyone. Talking about the gospel. It is by the command of God our Savior that I have been entrusted with this work for him. I'm writing to Titus, my true son in the faith, that we share. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior give you grace and peace. I left you on the island of Crete so you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town I instructed you. So again, main places that Titus was at was Corinth and Crete. And again, they had some wild peeps. And verse 6. Now here's, for me, I love this next set of scriptures. 
Because what it does, and it kind of outlines, if you look at, like, typically in most Bibles, they, like, separate stuff by thought, and it says up there, um, like, standards or regulations for elders. For this is, like, church leaders. I remember when I got, like, I felt this call to ministry when I was kind of early in following Jesus. I had no idea what that meant. I just knew that, hey, I wanted to do something for God. And I came across this. And, man, did it mess me up. Because as we begin to read here, again, these are standards for church leaders. And I was not meeting half of them. Um, so it says, an elder must live a blameless life. Now, the, this scripture, this letter, when it was originally re- written, it was written in the language of Greek. Um, so if I said the word, it'd just be Greek to you. I don't even, I'm terrible at reading Greek. But what it really literally means is to be above reproach. That means that you can't call them out on anything. That means there's no glaring gaps between their character or their integrity. They're the same person no matter where they're at. You want to be blameless. So carrying on, he must be faithful to his wife and his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. A church leader is a manager of God's household, so he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. Now, I'm going to be real with you. This right here, this listing, it sounds like they're supposed to live this perfect life, right? Like this leave-it-to-beaver life. Your kids are perfect. Your wife is perfect. You have the picket fence. The purpose of this was not some checklist to prove yourself. Because, again, we're not saved by our works. We're not saved by our good deeds. We're saved by our faith in Jesus Christ alone. So what Paul was doing, he was basically laying out this list of standards. Because church leaders should be individuals worth following. Right? I mean... How could I, if I, let's say I'm like personally in bankruptcy, how could I talk to you about being good stewards of your finances? I couldn't. So let's carry on. Verse 8. Rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home and he must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. He must live a devout and disciplined life. He must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught, again, the gospel. Then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and so those who oppose it where they are wrong. So you see, when the gospel truly impacts our lives, we become better husbands, better wives, better fathers, better mothers, better employees, better bosses. It affects every area of our life. Not just the face that we show on a Sunday morning inside these four walls. It's impact. It brings self-discipline, brings integrity. Verse 10, but there are many rebellious people who engage in useless talk and deceive others. This is especially true of those who insist on circumcision for salvation. Pause. Here's why this was a deal. Because in that culture, in that day and time, you had this group of people called the Judaizers. And these were Jewish individuals that believed that uh, salvation, that faith in Jesus wasn't enough. You had to have faith in Jesus and you had to follow some of these Old Testament laws. But that wasn't the true gospel. The true gospel is that we can't save ourselves by our works. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul was basically calling these people out. Verse 11, they must be silenced because they are turning whole families away from the truth by their false teaching. And they do it only for money. Verse 12, even one of their own men, a prophet from Crete, has said about them, the people of Crete are all liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. And then Paul replies, this is true. 
How would you like to hear that? Someone says, yeah, they're just a bunch of lazy gluttons. They stink. And then Paul, you're not wrong. So reprimand them sternly to make them strong in the faith. Don't give up on them. Correct them. They must stop listening to Jewish myths and the commands of people who have turned away from the truth. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are corrupted. Such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. They are detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. I'm going to lie to you. That, especially the ending there, man. Paul lays it down, and he lays it down thick. But the truth is, is kind of summing it up. People who don't engage in the gospel fully, they never allow God's truth to make them better at life. They may allow part of it. They may be okay in this area. But they have this other area that, eh, I'm going to keep this just for myself. I'm not going to fully surrender everything. They never grow in their faith. They don't take these necessary next steps in following Jesus. They don't become fully devoted followers of Jesus. So today, again, what we're going to be doing is we're going to talk about the purpose of the gospel. Because when the gospel truly impacts us, it impacts all areas of our lives. It impacts our emotions. The way we think, the way we feel. That when we see a situation, we don't react to it the same way that someone else would. I remember when I first started following Jesus, I was kind of a jerk. I was just a flat out jerk and I was emotionless. I really didn't get emotional about anything. And I remember watching all the, all the fun movies that cause everyone to cry, like The Notebook. We can't watch that movie in our house because it makes my wife ugly cry and she gets a headache. But me, I watch it. I'm like, what's the big deal? But you know what's happened? Over the last 13 or so years, as I've been following Jesus, I started getting emotional over different things. Things that used to be like, eh, that's, that's cool, that's nice. But I start hearing about the Nicaragua team that's going to Nicaragua in June. When I, start, when I got to just the other week, I actually got to kind of pop into their meeting. It was kind of impromptu and say hey to them. And I saw all these individuals just sitting there, ready. Ready to go to Nicaragua. Even though it was months away. Ready to go and make an impact. And I was like, man, I'm starting to feel it. Now, no, I did not cry. I still don't cry. But I started to get this passion that I normally don't get. Here in a month when we have baptisms. Back in the day, it was just people going underwater, getting back up, here's a towel. But now, I'm recognizing the work of God that's happening in their lives. You see, when the gospel impacts us, it impacts how we feel. It impacts our relationships. It impacts how I interact with other people. And not just the strangers that I'll never see again. Like, so, see, it's so easy for a Christian to be a Christian and be loving to the waiter or waitress that you're probably never going to see again. But then the way we treat our family and our friends that we daily see can't be night and day. When the gospel impacted my life, I want it to impact the way I treat people, the way I react to people, especially the people that frustrate just the pure snot out of me that I would rather ram my head into the wall than have conversations with. The gospel is impacting the way I interact with these people. The gospel, again, is helping me be a better father, to be a better husband. It should impact the way we steward our lives physically, 
the way that I treat myself, I'm like, maybe I don't need to go to Wendy's and get that four for four. Even though, you know what I'm talking about. You got the junior bacon cheeseburger, you got them four nuggets, and you got this list of sauces you got to decide on. Maybe for me, I just need to ease off the four for four and maybe get their salad. Because salad's fun. (laughs) Or maybe, when I get home... Instead of sitting there with that phone in front of my face looking at Facebook that really don't matter, I put it down and I engage and have fun with my daughter when we play with dolls. Even though I don't like playing with dolls. I don't even like saying the word because I can barely say it correctly. Maybe we can play Legos. We'll do Legos instead. But when the gospel impacts me, it's got to go beyond me. Because everything I just listed, everything I just talked about, you know what that was? Pure selfishness. It talks about how I'm a better person. You see, when the gospel truly impacts us, it goes beyond Keith. It goes beyond Keith doing good deeds and feeling good and putting a check off by my name. It goes into me actually following through with the urge and sharing the gospel with someone. I'll never forget when I was eating lunch in high school and I was reading my Bible and a guy named Ian walks up. He's like, hey man, you don't read the Bible, you're a pothead. I'm like, no, Ian, I'm not a pothead anymore. And I had the opportunity to share the gospel with him. Because, see, when the gospel impacts your life, you want it to impact other people's lives. It gives you a passion. It begins to get you fired up. And you don't, I was like, I don't know what to do with this. And you've got to share it with someone else because God is doing a work in you. And he wants to do a work through you. Because, again, Jesus didn't come so we can just have a better life so things would be easy. He came so we could be better at life and we can share the message of the gospel with everyone that we come in contact with. And maybe you might get annoying to people. Maybe the joy of God that flows through your life might make people that are sad really, really upset with you because they want what you have and they're scared to ask you how to get it. We've got to allow the impact of the gospel to hit us and go back into the people that we share our life with. The gospel must impact every area of our life. You see, Jesus, he didn't promise to be some uh, sugar daddy. That when we decide to follow him, he's like, you know what? I need this, this, and this. And if you do this, then I'll do this. That's not how any of this works. He's not our cush sugar daddy. He's our coach. You see, I don't watch sports, but I know what a coach does. He wants two things. One, for the player to get better. And two, for the team to win. That's it. In the same way, Jesus is our coach. He wants you to be better at life, better at handling frustrations, better at handling your finances, better at handling your family, better at handling your job. And he wants the team to win. Now, what's a win? A win is, again, when the gospel impacts you, flows through you, and impacts those around you. When those things are happening, the coach is happy. And I know that because I played sports once. That's how you make the coach happy. Again, I don't, I don't, I don't watch sports. I loved it last week uh, when the Rams won. <laughs> You're laughing because you watch sports. Uh, but listen, for me, when I first started, again, when I first started following Jesus, I had this flipped and turned around. Um, I remember when I got out of college, um, I had debt, student loan debt, that my daughter will still be paying off when I pass away. And I just prayed, God, take away my debt. I saw all these debt cancellation things. I'm like, you know what, God, just, you can do it. You can, you can cancel the debt, even though I refused to put down the credit card and continue to mound up more debt. 
I remember being so frustrated with people in my life, even though I was the guy with the problem. I was the issue, not them. And I remember even the way I dealt with family members. I would just keep them kind of arm's length because they were really like drama kings and drama queens. I didn't want the drama in my life. But see, I, as I begin to process, and even this week, in other areas of my life, I'm wanting the gospel to impact it. I don't want to just pray for God to get rid of the debt. I want to, me and my family, I want us to be strategic in, what we, in how we handle our money. Because I want our finances, I don't want more money. I don't want it. What I want is to make a greater impact with the money I already have. And what that means for me and my family, we want to get out of debt as fast as possible so we can give more. And not to thrive, I have other organizations that we partner with that I want to sow in financially. And that's not tooting a horn. That's me saying, I... I I just want the impact of the gospel to go further than what I'm already pushing it. I want to handle my frustrations better. I don't want to... If you ever put together a piece of Ikea furniture and you're sitting there reading the instructions, you don't have the same number of nuts and bolts as they say you do. Now, see, my wife and daughter, they know when daddy is assembling something, you leave the house because I get so frustrated and angry with this piece of furniture, this fake wood. But you know what? I don't want that. I want to be able to sit there in the dumb living room trying to assemble this thing that won't assemble and not be angry and lash out at my wife and daughter. I want the gospel to impact that moment in my life. Not just when I'm up here on stage and talking about scripture and preaching. I want to impact where I live. I don't want my wife or my daughter to see me or hear this message and then they think, but daddy don't do that at home. I want to be blameless. I want to be above reproach. I want the gospel to impact every area of my life. Again, not so that I can hoard it, but so that I can share it. So that when people meet me, they meet God. They meet his love, his acceptance, his patience, his peace. So the big question we have to work through is how in the world do we do this? Every message we have what we call our next step. Because information without application is useless knowledge that you can use on Jeopardy in a month or so. Because we want to give you applications. So how do you and I, how do we get better at life with Jesus? And it's one easy next step. And I say it's easy because that's a lie. Allow the Holy Spirit to produce what you cannot produce. If you want to become better at life through Jesus, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to produce what we cannot produce. And the Holy Spirit, as you read in Scripture, He came after Jesus ascended back into heaven in Acts chapter 1. And the Holy Spirit's purpose is to draw us and to guide us to take next steps in our walk and our relationship with Jesus. Everything happens through that. So we have to allow the Holy Spirit to do what we cannot do. Because see, we can't do this on our own. We can't do it by our own strength because we are not strong enough. We will come to the end of ourselves. However, guess what? Thank God he has no end of his strength and ability. When I come to the end of myself, we have to come to a place where we are utterly, completely dependent on him and his ability to guide us, to move us, and direct us. That's why Paul, he instructed his churches to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that means surrendering our total life to God's Spirit to do what we cannot do on our own. Because let me tell you, what I want to do, I want to get frustrated and throw that piece of Ikea furniture through the front window of my living room. I can't do it on my own. 
I have to allow the Holy Spirit to do this. In John chapter 15, Jesus said that if we abide or live in him, that we will bear fruit. And then in Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, he qualifies this and he gives a list of the fruit of the Spirit. So if you want to wonder, if you're thinking to yourself, man, I wonder how I measure up. Am I really truly allowing the gospel to impact my whole life? Well, this is what the fruit of the Spirit is. Because again, if you want to know what kind of tree you are, you got to look at the fruit that you're bearing, right? Some people are peach trees. Some people are, well, they don't have strawberry trees. I'm going to go with it. Some of you are strawberry trees. But is there love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? That's what's produced in a life that is godly. That's what is produced in a life that is impacted completely by the gospel. You see, apples, they don't have to really try very hard to grow. They just have to stay connected to the tree. And the same is true for us. If we want to grow in our faith, if we want to grow in our walk with Jesus, it's not us trying to do it on our own. It's us staying connected to the Lord. It's us staying connected here in this body of believers. It's us having a thriving relationship with Jesus outside of these four walls. That this can't be the only time you think about the Lord, that you worship him, that you honor him, that you read his scriptures. If this is it, you're basically, you've cut yourself off from the tree and you're not going to make it spiritually. Just being real with you. Moral behavior, that getting better is you. But spiritual transformation is only by the Holy Spirit. So how do we do this? How do we allow the Holy Spirit to produce what we cannot produce? Because again, if there's no application, then this is useless information. There are three things we have to do. And you know what? I love alliteration. And all of these things start with the letter I. That's right. Sesame Street today is brought to you by the letter I. The first thing is we have to identify incongruent areas of our life. We have to identify incongruent areas. Now, you may be hearing this like incongruent. Yes, that is a math term. Let me tell you what that means. Because when I hear that word, it makes me kind of shake a little because I don't, math class was, was not fun. It means things that don't line up. Areas that do not line up in our life. And the way we do this, how do we identify them? Keith, I'm glad you asked. We read scripture. As we read scripture, especially through the New Testament, we see these moments, these benchmark moments that we basically can put ourselves into check. For me, it's that list there that we just read in Titus chapter 1. That's a benchmark for me. I can go through that list and say, all right, this is where I need God to work on. Okay, this, this spot's okay. This spot I really, really need to allow the Lord to work in. But what we have to do is we have to know what the Word says. That means reading the Bible, studying the Bible. People ask myself or Pastor Kevin all the time, hey, what do you believe about blank and fill in whatever hot topic, uh, premarital sex, homosexuality, uh, stewardship, money, anything you want. But here's the truth. What I think, feel, and believe doesn't matter. What matters is what does God think, feel, and believe? What does his word say about it? Because see, ultimately, if you are a follower of Jesus, that's where we have to come back to. Because his word will be clear. And then we have one of two options. We can obey or we can disobey. There's no in-between. There's just obedience or disobedience. And let me let you know, and we'll kind of get more into this into the uh, message. But this is a process. This is not like there's some overnight oatmeal type thing. This is something that takes a long time. Small obedience in a long direction. Because... 
again, what God says on matters and issues and situations matters more than what I think and feel about them because my brain is really, really small and there are times where I'm really, really stupid and I'd rather let the creator of the universe guide my steps than trust me because you can't even trust me to build Ikea furniture, okay? So we have to identify We have to identify those incongruent areas of our life. Because remember, Jesus is our coach. He wants us to be better at life. So once we have identified these things, once we know, hey, these areas are not lining up with what God wants for me, what God desires for me, what do we do next? We have to invite, the next letter I, invite the Holy Spirit to change you. Because again, we can't do it our own. I'm going to come to the end of myself. I'm going to do the best of my ability, but eventually I'm going to mess it up. So I have to trust and invite the Holy Spirit in. And for me, what I have to do is, again, like earlier this week, as I'm reading through this passage in Titus, I see these areas that are incongruent. I pause and I pray and I ask, when I repent, then I ask God and the Holy, the Holy Spirit to direct my steps to guide me, to open my eyes to situations that I'm missing it in these moments. Because again, when I'm getting mad at the Ikea furniture, all I'm thinking about is that Ikea furniture. But in that moment, I want God to open my eyes and say, hey Keith, ding, 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 this is a spot. You need to put yourself in check. You have to identify it. And then the final thing, the final I, is invest in the process. We have to identify, we have to invite, and we have to invest in the process. And listen, this is the most difficult part. Because we are such an impatient culture. Last night I was having to uh, make something in the microwave. And I was really upset that I had to stop it and flip it over in the process. Some of us... As I've been speaking this message, God is speaking to you and showing you areas that are incongruent. And in seeing this, you're like, man, this is, you're getting discouraged. Because like, man, I've been doing this for years. How am I supposed to just stop now? How am I supposed to change it right this second? It's a process. Pretty sure probably within this week, I'm going to get cut off either on 288 or Route 10 by someone in a vehicle. None of you, because you guys are excellent drivers. And I have to, in that moment, decide if I'm going to let my frustration flare up. Or maybe I can pause, and there's no telling what that person's facing. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll pray for them. Or maybe I will do nothing at all, and I'll just sit there and just fight back the frustration. But maybe in a year from now, it won't bother me at all. You see, every one of us, we have an area or areas in our lives that are incongruent to what God wants for us. And the only way, because again, he came so that we could be better at life. But not so that we could be good people, but so that we can be godly. So that when people interact with us, when they meet us, when they see us, when they see us react to these situations... They can see the gospel at work. I remember uh, I used to work in a factory building church furniture, ironically. Uh, This is back in North Carolina. In my department, I was the only Christian. I was the only believer. They called me Rev. I don't know why. I hate being being called Reverend. I'd, I'd rather take my nails and scrape it on a chalkboard. They called me Rev. And I remember one day, me and a guy named Peter... 
We're assembling this pew back, and we use these air pressurized stapling guns. Most awesome, funnest, dangerous thing tool I've ever used in my life. And we were, I was running it down, and I was stapling, 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 and Peter was on the other end. His stapling gun had messed up, so he was having to hammer in his staples that had messed up. Talk about quality control. And as he did it, the pew back wobbled, and I threw a couple, like two staples into my thumb. Now, I apologize for the graphic nature of this moment, but I kind of had a moment. I I decided, how am I going to respond to this? My adrenaline was pumping, so I couldn't feel a thing. And I just walked, I quite slightly just walked up Peter. Hey, Peter, I just stapled my thumb. Um, What should I do? Because I had no idea. And he kind of freaked out a little bit, and then everything was fine. I got taken care of. But it was after, later, I was talking to Peter about it. And he was so apologetic. He felt so bad because he felt like it was really his fault because he caused it. And I was like, hey, man, bro, don't worry about it, man. It's, it's okay. Peter was impacted by that because he kind of expected me to get mad because I lost a day of pay because I had to go home because they wouldn't let me just stand around because, again, I put a staple on my thumb. Never know. As you invest in the process and you trust God, not just what's going to happen to you, but how God is going to use you once you've gotten beyond it. When you're beyond the frustration, when you're beyond the the way you act or react, God is going to use you, either your testimony of what He brought you through, or He's going to be able to use you in a brand new way. Because again, we never know what people are facing, we never know what they're going through. And when we step out and we allow the gospel not just to impact us, but to impact those around us, lives are impacted and God transforms lives. Because again, that's the win. So for you and for me, again, Jesus didn't come just so we can have a better life. He didn't come so we can have good stuff. He didn't come so you can feel good. He came so you could be better at life. And the only way we get better is we have to allow the Holy Spirit to produce what we cannot produce on our own. And we do that by identifying. We've got to identify where we're missing it. Where are we out of line? We do that through Scripture. We have to invite the Holy Spirit into our lives so that, again, to guide us, to direct us, because we can't do it on our own. He has to do it for us. He has to do it through us. And then we have to invest in the process because there are some things in life that takes a long time for us to go through. Whether it's something that happened as a child, whether it's something that's happening right now that you're digging out of. But here's, here's the thing. God is faithful. That no matter what you're facing, you're not alone. You have a group of believers here at Thrive that love and care for you. And you have a good God who loves you unconditionally. Because again, just as this is what I've been saying, I want us to be better at life. I want the impact of the gospel to go beyond just us as individuals. I want Jesus to impact us, to transform us, to mold us, to shape us to be who he desires us to be so that we can go out of these four walls and make an impact at our workplace, at our home, with our family, and with our friends. If you would pray with me this morning. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we can know you, that we can have a relationship with you. God, I pray that as you help us to become better at life, God, help us as we allow the Holy Spirit to move in our lives, to identify the areas that, we're, that are out of line, that are incongruent. 
God, help us to put aside our pride and our ego and to invite the Holy Spirit move and draw us to you and guide our steps to help us to get out of these incongruent areas for our lives to line up with what your word says. God, help us to invest and trust the process that you are going to shape us over time. There are times where it will be overnight, instantaneous, and there are times it will take years. God, let us trust you that you are faithful and just and you have not left us. You will not leave us or forsake us, as it says in your word. God, let us cling to you. Let us follow you. And God, let us leave here today, God, with more passion and a stronger desire to know you and to be used by you in our everyday life. And as we continue to pray this morning, you may have walked into Thrive today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Well, I want to encourage you and let you know that God loves you and he loves us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. And not just to teach, not just to do miracles, but to, to take our place as he died for us. Because the wages of sin is death and we have all sinned. But in his death and in his resurrection, we can have eternal life. We can be forgiven of our sins and, and we can have a relationship with God. And today I want to ask you if there's anyone here that has not made the decision to follow Jesus, but you want to make that choice and decision today. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that by your death and resurrection, I am forgiven of my sins and I am made whole. I confess that you are Lord of my life. I surrender everything to you. Amen. Can we just put our hands together and let's celebrate what God's doing at Thrive Church today? Amen.